Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Side five guys yesterday. Can you stand quickly? If you if you went out, can you guys and you and your team just stand if you're here? I just think let's, these are guys, some of these people went for the first time, but love them. Yeah, well done, guys. If, if you have gone this year, if you have gone this year, why don't you stand as well? Very quickly. If you've gone at least once, stand up. That's awesome. We want to say well done, guys. Well done. It's an amazing, amazing thing. I think it's a profound thing when people give up Saturday morning after Saturday morning to go and serve other people. People who work full-time jobs, who are up, I know Wayne is up at five in the morning during the week, and on a Saturday, is day for lying, and he wakes, wakes up at six to go and serve people who are less fortunate. I think that's the gospel, taking hold of a community. And I want to say next year, get involved with these guys. It's an amazing, amazing team um, led by an amazing couple, and we're so proud of you guys and what God's doing. And uh, yeah, we just felt in the, this week, praying for you and your team, so just a word that faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. And you guys have been faithful. You've sown and you've sown and you've sown, and fruitfulness is coming. Yeah. And, uh, and you're going you're gonna to reap where you haven't sown because you've been faithful in sowing. And uh, that's, the, that's the gospel. So we're proud of you and your team, and you guys are amazing. So if you want to join them, don't miss out. Saturday mornings, meet you at 8 a.m. From this they've done for the year, but January they'll be kicking off again. And go, but now, don't wait till then. Come and chat to Wayne and Jay and say, how can I get involved? How can I be a part of this ministry? Because it's an amazing, amazing thing. And we're so proud of that. One announcement from us today is this. Christmas is coming. We are very excited. We are, I, I just want to put, put it out there that I, I do receive cash gifts as well. Yeah, but it doesn't have to even be a big gift like 40 grand. I just receive any cash gift. Any cash gift. You know, wonderful. I'm a good steward. But we've got Christmas and we're really excited about it. We are so excited about Christmas that we are not having one service, we're having two. We're having a Christmas Eve meeting from 6 o'clock till 7. There's going to be mince pies and carols in the courtyard afterwards. And on this, the, the Friday morning, Christmas Day, we're having 9 o'clock till 10 o'clock, a Christmas morning service. And we're doing this not to say we think that you don't have much to do during Christmas, so let's fill up the time. We do this because we're wanting to invite our community, our city, to, to come in and, uh, and celebrate our King's birth together with us. We want to do it in such an amazing way and host people in a great way. So if you call this place home, I'd love to say to you, don't just kick out on Christmas Day. Come here to serve. Come here to engage with people. Come here to stay a little bit later and connect with new people because we are so excited about these services. We really are trusting that with these small things called Christmas meetings, Jesus, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords is going to change lives forever. We're convinced he's done it with us, and we, we know he's going to do it again and again and again. So we're, doing, we're really excited. So your role is to take one of these cards in the next few weeks. If this helps, they've just got the details on it. And we found this was quite helpful. Once you've, you invite a family member or a friend, you've, you say to them, and they go, yes, 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 I'd love to come. Give them one of these so they've got no excuse for forgetting. There you go. You know, just strategic. Here you go. But uh, as Wally's been encouraging us, I wanted to say, invite your neighbors. We've, I've intentionally been focusing on Bird Lady. I don't know her name. She lives above us, and she owns many birds. But she will be at our Christmas service, I tell you. And I will know her name. Please, don't introduce yourself and say, hi, bird lady. Just me and her. It's a thing between us. But I would encourage you, get to know your neighbors and invite them to the service. Get you, uh, your colleagues at work. If you've got one more week left in the year, don't try and just finish the and clock out. I'll say in this week, make your aim. 
not just to do your hours and go home, but this week, I'm going to invite that person who sits across from me to one of our Christmas meetings. I want to tell you, the worst they can say is this, no thanks. It's not that horrible, hey? It's like, oh, okay, cool. But the best thing they can say is, yes, I'd love to come. And who knows what God is going to do. So just let's step out of our comfort zone. We don't have to preach to them. We don't have to do handstands. We just have to say, would you like to come to a service with me? I want to encourage you to do that this Christmas. Is that all right? We are so excited about these services, and we really, really trust in God to do amazing things. Today, I am preaching my last sermon of the year until Christmas Eve. So bad luck for you, you guys who came this morning. I want to tell you that this evening, we have the best preacher at Life Changes preaching. The best preacher. I'm telling you, so those who came in the morning, sorry, obviously weren't uh, godly enough. My wife is preaching tonight. Can you believe it? Sorry. Whoa. Mm. She's not just beautiful, but she's a lady who knows the Spirit of God. She knows God. And I want to say, if you've got free time tonight, come in and, and hear a message that God has birthed in her heart. It's going to be profound. I love this girl. She's amazing. She is amazing. One of my favorites. One of my favorites. You know? <laughs> I'm telling you. Just a joke, you know? For all our visitors, just a joke. <laughs> Here you go. Thank you. But uh, we're in a series at the moment out of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, called Are You Crazy? And uh, I want to suggest if you come to church on summer days like this one, I would suggest, yes, you are crazy. But welcome to the club. A whole bunch of us are crazy people who are passionately in love with Jesus, who have considered all else lost and say, we, we don't want to give our lives to anything else but him and his cause. That's why people go in week in and week out into Site 5 and sow and love people and, and, and feed people and bless people. That's why, because they're crazy. They're a bunch of crazy people. That is not a normal thing to do. A bunch of people who come and we, we baptize people because we see in the Bible and we don't think that's an old antiquated thing. We feel it's something that God has called us to do today and it's the renewed life of Jesus Christ taking hold of people. We're a bunch of crazy people. At a wedding last, we went to a wedding yesterday and I want to tell you, that there are some undercover dancers in our, in our, in our congregation. Do you know that? I said I wouldn't mention his name, Benny Latachan, but I, I won't. I see that hand, Benny. I see that hand. But more importantly, if you, have, if you want a treat, you've got to see those feet. Oh, dancing feet. Mm. Do we have time? No, no, we don't. We've got to preach. But it's amazing. But we are a bunch of crazy people who love Jesus, love having fun, loving making much of him. Church is not supposed to be boring. This is the place where people have come alive to the greatest news ever, that Jesus is alive and he's our king and we'll have no one else. So we are crazy and we're finding out more and more that our God is just as crazy because he wants to use people like you and me. The God must be crazy because for somebody to think that I'm worth saving, that I'm worth using, that's crazy talk. But I'm believing it more and more. That God is crazy and he's crazy about me, he's crazy about you and he's crazy about this planet and he wants to renew it for his glory. And we get to play a part in that. So we're looking at this series, looking at something called faith, this big concept called faith. And it's sometimes out there, ethereal, someone says, just have faith, brother. What does that mean? Don't we know? And we've been realizing that faith looks like something. If you've been with us the last few weeks, forgive me just to bring us up to speed. But what happened, we found out as we looked through Hebrews 11, which tackles with Twitter one-liners about different characters in the Bible, we found out that for Abraham, faith looked like obedience. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. He was called by God and said, leave your country and go to the land I'll show you. He did not know where he was going, but he said, yes, Lord, I'll obey you. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Another man named Noah, 
He was a man by faith that says, by faith Noah built. And we, we've learned as we looked at this man who, who built an ark, who built this boat, this massive boat, and, and the commentators say that they hadn't seen rain. No one in that generation knew what rain looked like. So he was saying a flood is coming. Crazy man stuff, but by faith he built, faithfully, day in and day out, he built this massive, the size of the Titanic, just building, 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 building this thing, brick, uh, not brick, wood and hammers and, and nails, you know, I'm not a DIY guy. I don't think God would have called me to build anything. But he called Noah, and by faith, Noah built. And, and we learned that, by, that Noah was celebrated as a man of faithfulness before he was known as a man of faith. And I think so often we, we want the big story before God says, just be faithful with what I've got. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Noah built. We then learned that a man named Joshua, by faith, it says, by faith, Joshua encircled the promises of God. And by faith, he encircled this, this town called Jericho, which was set up against God. And the word Jericho means promise. And then we found that this man who's heard from God, God said, oh, I'm going to give you the city. The walls are going to tumble down. You're going to go and take the city for your inheritance. And he says, but what you need to do is you need to walk around it once a day for six days, saying nothing. I love that. I'd love to be in that team meeting. Guys, here's the plan. Once a day, don't say anything. Okay, great. And, and, and then? Not too sure. We'll see what God does. But he does it. Walks around once. By faith, they do it. Walk around twice, three, four, five, six times. And we find out that on the seventh time, he'd walk around the seventh time and then raise a shout, raise the voices, raise the trumpets, and then the walls of Jericho fell down. And as we're reading that, I just wanted to encourage you, don't stop short on six. If they had said on day six, ah, this is lame, let's go home. Nothing's happening. They wouldn't have seen the breakthrough of God, but we are finding that faith looks like encircling the promises of God, reminding day after day, year after year, reminding what God has said to you and not letting go of that. Hold on to his promises. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Joshua encircled the promises. And then we learned a man named Isaac. By faith, Isaac reached into the future and blessed his sons. What that means for us is that faith is a posture that we have a choice to either lean into our circumstances, lead into our deficits, our defaults, our defects, our sin, our past. We can lean into that, what the enemy says about that, or we get to be like Isaac by faith and reach into a future that is undeserving, that we do not deserve of our own merit, but we get to step out and reach and say, God, I trust you for my future. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Joshua encircled. By faith, Isaac reached. And I, I say these things because I want to tell you, uh, as, as a man who gets the privilege to preach here from time to time, you can ask my wife, these things are not just words for us. I'm a very literal man. I like to have these things, and, and I say them again and again and again. I remind myself until I start living them. Because I think we are a very apathetic people who hear a lot, but don't do much with it. We hear a lot, and we think, my, my social justice will be me, putting a link to an article about Jacob Zuma. Done. I am a political activist. No, you're not. You've done nothing. That's the nation we live in at the moment. Everyone thinks they are, but they are nothing because we've got information overload, but we're doing nothing. And we're saying faith looks like something. Are you obeying? Are you building? Are you, are you reaching? Are you encircling the promises of God? Because I believe God has called us to build a house of faith. I, want, I, I believe that this church is going to be known as a place of faith, that people, when the, the, their worlds are crumbling down around them, where the rand is hitting the all-time low and people don't know where to go, where relationships are going south, they say, I don't know where to go. People will be able to say, go to those people at Life Changes because they, they see something different. 
something different about them, not because they are richer, not because they've got more resources, not because they've got the flashiest things, but they're holding on to him. And they say, there's a better day. We are a city on a hill, not hidden. We are obeying, we're building, we're reaching, we're encircling, so that people would come and find hope in a hopeless place. I was quoting Rihanna there, by the way. I won't sing it. But I want to say this, and my wife said this phrase, which blew me away this week. She said, show me what you sow, and I will show you where you'll go. She said that, and I was like, wow, it just blew my mind away. When we think about it, I will say that to you, that if you come, you show me what you are putting in the ground, what seeds you are sowing, what you are doing with, with your life now, the words that are coming out your mouth, the, 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 the attitudes of your heart, I'll tell you what you are sowing will lead to where you'll go. Your future will be determined by what you're doing. I want to tell you, critical people never go down in history. No cynic ever was celebrated in history. He was such a cynical guy. No, it's men of faith, whether you're Christian or not, who have changed the world. People who believe there's a bigger day, a brighter future, said we're not going to settle for the, what we, the status quo. If you are sowing criticism and cynicism, if you're sowing anger, if you're sowing frustration, I'll tell you, your future is going to be very small. I want to tell you, but if you're sowing in faith, even if you're not seeing it yet, but you're saying, I will keep obeying, I'll keep building, I'll keep encircling, I'll keep reaching, but I'm sowing that I can tell you your future is bigger than you'll ever imagine. Test me on this. Test God on this thing, that God is a God, he says it a different way, he says, what you sow, you reap. And I want to tell you, that this is the gospel, and we want to take it in our hearts, and let's start actioning it, because that's, I believe, who we are. I, I really want to remind you, as Life Changes Church, that this series, we are, I'm desperately, desperately wanting somebody to be convinced that you are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers, and we will not insult God with small thinking or safe living. Let me tell you again who you are, sir or ma'am. You are a faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-taker. You will not insult God with small thinking and safe living. That is who we are. We are crazy, crazy people. We are not reasonable. God never said, well done, you reasonable man. Faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers. I want to tell you, this is what God's done in our hearts and he's doing in us. And I think we're going to do this together today. So if that's right, can we do this together one last time with me this year before we get kicked off the stage? Can you turn to your neighbor? We're going to turn to Hebrews 11. It'll be on the screen behind me. Hebrews 11, verse 32 to 34. But please turn to your neighbor and say to him, this guy is crazy. And if you have courage, maybe turn to the person next to you and say, and so am I. Come on. Some positive confession in the place. Wonderful. We're going to read the scripture together. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Just amazing scripture. It goes like this. The writer, just, just to let you know, Hebrews, if you're unfamiliar, Hebrews 11, short one-liners about individuals, and we get to this, the culminating part of the chapter where it says this, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of, of the faith of Gideon, Barak, and that's not Obama, by the way. Just, he's not in there. He's not in there. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Next one. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. 
Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Can we pray? Father, I pray this morning, as we come to your word, not to formulas, not to uh, hyped up redheads, not to religion, we come, God, to the giver of life. And I say, God, would you breathe your life, even though we are slowing down as a nation into holiday mode, you're quickening our mortal bodies, you're quickening our spirits to the high call in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Father God, we as a people refuse to settle down. We refuse to be watered down and we refuse to be back to back down for your kingdom and your glory. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you, I love this scripture because all the way through, as I said, the Twitter one-liners saying, by faith, Abraham did this. But as we look at their backstory, like the Marvel comics, they've got a much more convoluted, a much more longer backstory, which is not as clean cut and, and neat and tidy. It's a little bit messy, just like our stories. And then I love how the author of Hebrews 11 is talking about these one-off characters as if they're like some Marvel movies, you know, standalone movies, Abraham coming in December. And then we get, he just runs out of time or budgets, I don't know, whichever way you're looking at it, and he suddenly throws in four characters at once. He's like, I don't have time to tell you Gideon, uh, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. For me, it's just like the Avengers, you know? He says, I'm going to throw them all in one movie. There we go, sorry, just my own mind playing with that. But I really believe that, I, I just love this when I see this. He gets to this moment where, where he tells us of these names, and he says, I don't have time to tell you about all these guys. Can I tell you the good news? We do have time today. Yay! But don't worry, we're just going to tackle one guy, and the first name is, his name is Gideon. A man named Gideon, and this week I asked a few people, I said, tell me about Gideon. Some people have been in the church for some years and time, and it was amazing to hear answers. People weren't too sure about Gideon. He did one or two things. Um, uh, no, not too sure. Guys, weren't too sure. So I'm going to tell us a little bit about Gideon this morning, if that's all right. And, and we're going to see this story, but by, by faith, if you, cut, if you cut and paste and you realize what, what, by, what Gideon's faith story was, by, it says, by faith, Gideon overthrew kingdoms. Come on, wouldn't you love that to be a statement about you? Just for me, oh, maybe I'm just one of the manly guys, oh, I'm you know, trying my hardest to be a manly guy. Overthrew kingdoms, it's unbelievable, just an incredible story. But, but we look at this backstory, and we find this backstory of Gideon in a book called Judges. So we're going to read 16 more verses, is that all right? Just of Gideon's, this, the initial part of the story. The book of Judges is the seventh book in the Old Testament, but I'll say go read it at home. Chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 is an incredible story of a man named Gideon. So we're going to read 16 verses together. And then I'm going to preach. Verse 1 says this, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels. Can you see this in your head? It's like a movie. Too numerous to count. And they, they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. 
I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship these gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah. She also gets a mention. It's amazing. <laughs> Which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiza. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you'll destroy the Midianites if you were fight, as if you were fighting against one man. Potent, potent story. I want to bring us up to speed, just so some context. If you are familiar with the Bible, if you're not, there was a man named Moses, and he led the, the Israelite people out of Egypt. Then he died, handed over to a man named Joshua, the second generation, and he took the people from the wilderness, out of slavery into the wilderness, he took them into the promised land, into their inheritance. Then he died, so they into their land that was promised them, and come a group of people called the third generation. Third generation, the book of Judges starts and says, this generation grew up apart from the knowledge of God. So Moses, Joshua, their forefathers, but this next generation have no clue about what has gone before, and they just do what they please. And they start sowing different seed than their forefathers had, and they start reaping a future that gets smaller and smaller. Can I tell you, this principle of the third generation is nothing new. It's nothing old, it's nothing new, it's, it's just the reality of, of life. I don't know if you know about it, but there'll be like a, a man who, who by, pulls his life up by his bootstraps, goes and he gets calluses on his elbows as he works long hours and long shifts to, to, to build a better life for himself and his family. And he, and he does well. He passes it to the next generation, the second generation, take the hard work that dad has done, and they blow it out of the, the water, and they make it huge. It goes massive. And they take from humble beginnings, now we've got this massive product. The third generation live in that wealth, but usually squander it, because they've never paid a price for it. You can see it in our country today. A man named Nelson Mandela fought a battle for freedom for our country. Fought, blood, sweat, and tears to break through second generation, try to bring it bigger. A third generation who grew up who have no clue of the struggle, but fees must fall. <laughs> just saying. It's, 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 it's this, this, we don't understand the price, so we just want it on a platter. I'm saying this to myself because I'm a part of a third generation who doesn't know that but, and is living in privilege that, that forefathers gave from. But the, the, the privilege of a third generation is that we live in an inheritance that we do not earn. The peril of the third generation is that we do not, we squander it and we do not, we store up nothing for the next generation. And they have to pull themselves up because this generation did nothing. And that's what happened. We find this third generation come and, they, and they, their worlds have become shrunken and done nothing. They're called um, the Israelites. They're living in the promised land, but because they've done nothing, they're not following and pursuing God, they're not sowing, their future is, is getting smaller and smaller. So much so, a, group, a, a marauding group of people called the Midianites become the terror of their lives. 
So much so, as we read, they say the Midianites were very cruel. They used to come, they just used to rob and pillage and steal and take the animals. And whenever they put crops on the ground, they'll come and just take all the crops from them. Like this big bully in the playground. I'll take your lunch day after day. Oh, again, I'll take your lunch again. It just kept happening, kept happening. And they became uh, such a, a small group, it says, that they got so fearful in their own promised land that their forefathers fought for, they end up hiding in the mountains and in the caves. Can I tell you why? The first danger I feel for us as a people, and this is for us as life changers, not just only as individuals, but as a community, because we are living as a third generation. People who, most of us, who have not paid any price for this building. There was a generation who came and they paid, they laid their, line on the, their life on the line for a building. They paid money, they, they sowed they, for, for salvation. They went and they preached on the streets so people would come to church and get saved. And, and this thing grew, and the second generation grew up, and then suddenly there's a third generation here, you and I, who've done nothing, but we're enjoying the privilege. We love it. It's an awesome church, which is great. Nothing wrong with that. But the peril with it is that we sow up nothing for our next generation because we do nothing. And the, the, the tendency for us is this, is that we end up shifting into a gear called neutral. Who knows neutral gear? Students love this gear. In Durban, we had lots of hills, and my university was at the bottom of the hill. I had no petrol, but it was okay. Put that baby in neutral and just coast down. <laughs> Cranking the tunes, neutral gear. Loved it. Can I tell you, neutral is great when it's all going well, but the moment you hit a hill, neutral gear destroys you. You need some power there. But this is the problem, that we slip into neutral gear. And I want to tell you, in Christianity, in, our, in, the, in the kingdom of God, neutral gear is not tolerated. We cannot tolerate neutral gear in our lives. And I think so often, I just know it in my own heart. My own heart wants to just go into neutral and just coast. I'm okay. Everything's all right. There's no terror at my door. There's no stress in my life. So I just can just coast. But the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is advanced by violent men by men and women who lay hold and fight for the privileges that God has given them. But the problem with neutral gear, I tell you, is this. It always takes you backwards. I'll tell you, I learned this the hard way. My friend Brad uh, King in Durban, when I was a student and driving mom and dad's car, he once lent me his Honda Civic, which at the time was the coolest car I'd ever seen because it had blue lights on the dashboard. Wow. It's amazing. And he lent it to me, and I was so, so stoked. I was driving around. You know, I was single at the time. I was going past, very slowly past the girls' schools in the Honda Civic. <laughs> White boy listening to rap music, you know, hardcore. But that's, that's not the point of the story. <laughs> but I went home one day, and we lived on, on Larch Road, which is a hill. And I parked it outside the, the driveway because we didn't have enough space for, for his car in our driveway. So we parked it on the hill, pulled up the handbrake, left it in neutral, Chucked the keys in the pocket with a bit of swag because I've got a Civic. I walked in and my cousin met me at the gate and said, hey, how did you get here? I said, on the Civ Civic. He goes, where do you park it? Do, do, do. Now, for dramatic effect, okay, in real truth, it was rolling down the hill probably at five kilometers an hour. But for dramatic effect, this thing was tearing down the hill at breakneck speed. And I want to tell you, I reacted in a split second, and I just started running. Dun, 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 dun. And I went for it, and I bleeped the car, opened the door, leapt in it. Dramatic effect, it was inches away from exploding at the bottom of the road. It literally was about 100 meters away, but inches away. 
But I remember I got in that car and I, and, and I, I just was, I felt so stupid that I, in Durban, you can't just leave your car in, ne- in neutral and pull up the handbrake. You've got to leave it in gear. I want to tell you, if you're in neutral as, as Christianity, it's only a matter of time. There's no, there's no on fire for God and, and not on fire for God and this neutral zone. No, the Bible calls neutral lukewarm. And he says, God says this, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I'm trying to pull, I don't want to pull any punches here. I want to be just what the word of God says. And if you're in neutral, sir, ma'am, in the kingdom of God, you will start going backwards. And this is what happened to these Israelites. They were neutral. They did nothing. They sowed nothing for the next generation, fought no battles for the next generation, did not drive out the enemy, sat in neutral gear, and the Midianites came and took over and terrorized them. Rory Dyer, a great man up in Pretoria, has a story. He says, to illustrate this story, he says, you know when you get on an airplane, you're walking down the aisle and you're looking for your seat, number 9B, 9B, looking, looking, and you just see your empty seat and your heart sinks. When you see in the seat next to you is Osterant's bigger, less fit, never played rugby brother. (laughs) And he's sitting in not one seat, but one and a half seats. And you're like, oh, how's this going to work? And Rory tells a story how he says he gets in next to this guy, and he says for the next eight-hour flight, he said he wasn't going to relent. He was going to fight this guy for the armrest. You know, as soon as the guy lifts his hand, you put your hand on the arm, my armrest. I paid for the seat. But it's like that sort of wrestle. And the whole, but then eventually you relent. You say, this is not worth it. And you just sh- shift up into your corner, and he just lounges in your, and his, shoulder, his head ends up coming on your shoulder and drool coming down. And you're just like... I paid for the seat, but he's getting one and a half seats. It's not, this is not fair. But I think that's the problem. We do this. And the, the Israelites did this. By divine right, they had their seat of authority. Just like you and me in Christ, we have our authority, we have our seats. But because we're neutral, because we stop fighting for what's rightfully ours, we just go, oh, all right, I suppose. And, 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 and what happens is not, it's no longer just Oss's brother and an amusing story. It's a thing called the kingdom of fear starts to encroach. We just tolerate it, tolerate it. I'm neutral with it. I'm not going to deal with it radically. But the kingdom and spirits of fear come and start ruling and taking authority over our lives. And we're sitting in a very small space. Yeah. Or the spirit of rejection, we don't deal with it. Or the spirit of uh, passivity or the spirit of lack, we just tolerate it and we're neutral with it. I'm not going to deal with it, not going to deal with it. And then eventually we're in no space at all. And this is what happened to these Midianites. So much so that they were hiding in their own promised land. They're hiding. And I think so many Christians live in that reality. They're in hiding. They have been saved. They've been set apart. They've been given the Spirit of God, but they're sitting in hiding. And, and I think in the negative, I'd ask them, are you crazy? Do you know how much we've got? But then the story goes, and God finds a man. And I want to tell you, God is always looking for a man or woman. He's not just looking, speaking to a crowd, and let's do this together. No, he's looking for you. He's looking for me, one of us, to put our hands up and say, I'll go, I'll do this. And he finds his man, our man, Gideon by faith overthrew kingdoms, and he finds this mighty avenger, played by Robert Downey Jr. In my head. He finds him in a hole in the ground called the wine press. And he's hiding in the wine press, and he's not even doing anything with wine, he's hiding wheat from the Midianites. Likely hero. He finds this man who's terrified for his life and is hiding what little he has left, my wheat. I'm just going to get through this with my wheat. 
He's crawled up in the corner of his seat. He's been in neutral for way too long. He's going backwards. He's in his, in his hole, hiding down there. And God finds this man there, and he says this, this amazing introduction. God says, Gideon, mighty warrior. So I don't know about you, but I read this and I go, I think there's been some bad editing in this movie. <laughs> you know when you watch those, um, those uh, uh, what's the, the, on, I think it's on DSTV, it's the Spanish language TV, where they're speaking, and then the English is here. Hello, I saw you there. You know, but they're speaking the words here, but then the, the dubbing's coming like after. You know, and you're going, this is bad editing. I feel this is it because I'm going, this scene does not fit with those words. He's hiding in a hole. Mighty warrior. No, bad editing. The trolley will just come later after he's done something. No, no, no. But, but that's what we read. I can't get around it. The editing God put in there was that Gideon, in the state of being, God called him out of it and said, Mighty warrior. I think it's profound this. I think it's really, really profound because I want to tell you this morning that you and I are not defined by our limitations. Faith says we are not defined by our limitations. We are defined by a thing called the Word of God. And this, this is my last preach for you. I want to appeal strongly and say this thing cannot just be a book on our shelf. It cannot just be a, a bookend for our other books, our Jeffrey Archers and our novels to be propped up with. This thing has to become the very source of, of life in our lives. Because I want to tell you this, that if the word is not shaping you, the world will shake you. If this thing is not shaping you, if the word of God saying who you are and who he is is shaping you, then I'm telling you, you'll find yourself in a hole covering and protecting what little you have. When God has created you for increase and growth and enlargement. Genesis 1. We are not defined by our limitations. I want to tell you, our futures are not determined by the hands of men, but by the voice of the Lord. Amen. Can I tell you that's good news when you see the RAND go to 23 to 1? When you see all hell break loose on white people's Facebooks? Just saying. <laughs> just saying. Can I tell you, sometimes white people are just useless. <laughs> I'm just saying it. I just see, uh, sorry, my own, little, my own little tirade. I'll leave that one alone. But I'm just seeing this thing where, we, where, where Facebook gets excited. All hell, head for Perth. My future is not determined by the hands of man or by the hands of a government. My future in my country, as long as I am here, a man named Gideon was in that country. He says, as long as I am here, there's a mighty warrior still here. I want to tell you, as long as life changes is still in Cape Town, in South Africa, our future is not determined by the hands of men. Our future is determined by the voice of God. But the problem is the church aren't listening to the voice of God. We're listening to other voices. We've got to be people of the word. So that's an appeal to myself and to say to my neutral heart, be a man of the word. I love this. As the story goes uh, and this wrestle, his, Gideon's response to mighty warrior is something that I probably would do. And he says, how can you use me? I'm from the weakest, I'm from the least clan of Manasseh, and in that clan, I'm the weakest. And I don't think he was exaggerating. I think he was, by his location in the hole, hiding with wheat. That doesn't give me a big hope for this man. But God saw through that, and I love God's answer to that. So we see him in a hole, God says, mighty warrior. His response to that says, I'm the least of the least. You don't know what I've done, you don't know, I've got no skills, I'm not a leader, don't call me. Go to the guy next door. He plays Hillsong. <laughs> Promise. I, I don't even have a Hillsong album. Nothing. And God's answer to him saying, I'm the least of the least. In my mind, 
I would give that guy some pop psychology and tell him, you can do it, my man. You, are, you know, you are actually more, you're better than you think. You're a nicer guy. Come on. God does not give him pop psychology. He does, can I tell you, a preacher's job is not to convince you of how great you are. Because God doesn't do that. God's answer to Gideon this unbelief, God says this, I am with you. He doesn't mention Gideon again. Can I tell you what's the courage of my heart? It's not that I've got some great skill that I need to tap into, or if I go deep enough in my heart, there will be some inner strength. No, I tell you the courage, the secret of the gospel is that God is with us. And that secret has been traded as a cheap platitude, God be with you, as a cheap little end statement. But this is the truth, that the people of God, what separates us from everyone else in the world is that he is with us. And he gives this to Gideon, this courage to Gideon. He says, go and I'll be with you. It's a profound, profound thing. I tell you this is huge for me because out of my lips I can say often, I, I'm a useless husband. Or maybe you're saying, I'm, I'm a useless parent. I, I'm useless. I, I'm the least. I, I'm, I'm just an addict. I lie all the time. I can't, I'm a habitual liar. I don't know what's coming out of your mouth. Or you, if you're honest, and maybe not, you're not saying it, but you know deep down who you are. I want to tell you the incredible thing for me, I, I've learned again and again that for me to be a good husband... My love for Fiona is not enough. That's why marriage is, the world wants to make it, marriage is about love. And then when I don't feel like I love her anymore, then what? Then we're in trouble. Marriage is based on covenant. That God says, I am with you and I'll never leave you. That's what marriage is a picture of. So when I don't feel like I love her, I still have to love her. I still have to stick around. I still have to do it. Because that's the gospel. Jesus doesn't say, today I don't like you because you did not behave well. He's with us, not because based on us. He's with us based on his son, Jesus Christ, and the covenant he's made with us. Covenant trumps our feelings every time. Woo! Thank goodness. This is amazing for me. But I think the problem is that we've settled for too long in the corner of our seats agreeing with the enemy. We say too often, we say, I'm emotionally closed. That's who I am. I'm just emotionally closed. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel anything. I'm a habitual liar. Bad luck just follows me. Bad luck comes in three with my family. Whatever that means. Is there a scripture for that? Sorry. I'm just always sick. Or maybe I've heard, I've even said it to a lot of people. Tableview is the divorce capital of the southern hemisphere. I've heard people tell me in the last few weeks, we are planting a congregation to Milneton early next year, and people have told me, Milnerton is a church graveyard. He says, people, he says, people have told me, you don't know how many churches have tried in Milnerton. Churches have started and have left. Can I tell you what I say? I say, okay. God is with me. Okay, God is with me. I, I'm, I'm, struggling for, I'm struggling in myself. Yeah, God is with you, sir. And it might sound so trite, might sound so easy, but for me, I think this is a truth that we need to get so deep in our heart because I promise you, I don't feel qualified. I don't feel qualified to, to preach. I don't feel qualified to be a husband because of the things I've done in my past. I don't feel qualified to be a man, a, a, a person in the church with, with people looking to, to me. I don't, have, I don't feel qualified at all in myself, but can I tell you, God is with me. And if that is not enough for me, I'll always be searching the, the depths of the barrel and scraping up, becoming empty and empty and just go and agreeing with the enemy and my seat will become smaller and smaller and I'll end up being focused on myself and not paying a price for the next generation. That's the peril of the third generation. 
I want to tell you why this is huge, because this story finishes, if you go read at home, chapter 16, he, Gideon still wrestles with God, there. He, 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 God convinces him more and more and more, gets to a place where he wants to go and fight with the enemy, uh, go take them on, and he has 32,000 soldiers, and God says, too many, minuses it down to 10,000, God says, too many, gets down to 300, the original movie, 300, told you, it's all in there, 300, and God says, take those men, Go fight the enemy. He's like, how are we going to do this? They surround the enemy at night. The Midianites are down in the valley. This is for time's sake. They do not even cross swords with one person. Because God says to them, I'm with you. I'll fight your battle when you trust me. What happens? They, God says, on, when, I, when I give you the signal, God says, smash a pot which has a, with, which has a, a torch in it with flames and lift up your sword and, and the ram horn and shout, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. That's all they got. Strategy for the war. They did that. It says the Midianites woke up in a panic and killed each other. The enemy, by faith, Gideon overthrew kingdoms. So much so, the Midianite army was then hounded and taken down and was, was totally obliterated from the face of the earth. That verse, I think it's in verse 28 of chapter 8. Very quickly, I want to read this to you because I think this is so huge. Put courage in my heart. It says this. That, that is the story. This is summing it up. That is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian which never recovered. The people of Midian never recovered. The enemy, the kingdom, that was encroaching on their space, which was coming on their seat and shrinking their land, so much so that their future was getting smaller and smaller. It says that Gideon defeated them by faith, and that army never recovered. Let me tell you what's amazing. The next time the nation of Midian and this war is mentioned in the Bible is in the chapter of Prophet Isaiah, in chapter 9 says, the people who are living in darkness have now seen a great light. And he goes on and he says, and once again a man will come, like Gideon, who will defeat the, the enemies of ours, just like Midian. The next time, and you know what the rest of that chapter is about? And he shall be called, wonderful God, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophecy about Jesus. Can I tell you what's amazing? In Matthew chapter 4, the only next time that Gideon is mentioned before Hebrews 11 is in Matthew's chap Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus quotes Isaiah 9 and says that on the basis of that, says, on the basis of defeating this army like that, just like Midian, says, and Jesus launched his ministry and started to preach the kingdom of God. Because a man of faith defeated kingdoms here, a third generation that was tempted, was, it was tempted to get smaller and smaller and smaller because he said, no, I'm not going to settle in neutral for that rite of passage. Generations and years to come lived in freedom because a man named Jesus came and broke that principle on his head. I find this amazing. Let me tell you why. I really believe that if, if I take this literally and understand that I have, by faith, I can overthrow kingdoms in my life, that if I tackle this enemy called lust, this kingdom called lust, which is invading on my seat, invading in my authority and pushing me more and more in a corner. If I, by faith, defeat that enemy, I want to tell you my children will not have to battle that enemy. Can I tell you, my wife comes from a line of divorce and brokenness. But by faith, if she says, we are not going to go down that route, we're going to, by faith, we're going to hold on to Christ, not on each other's love, we're going to hold on to Christ as superior. Can I tell you, we take on the kingdom of divorce, and for generations, my family will not be plagued by divorce. Can I tell you, the, pride, the peril and the privilege of the third generation is huge. We get to do things differently. I want to finish this morning with a story, possibly one of my favorite stories in the world, besides 
our own love story. It's a good one. Another time. But there's this uh, a man named Nicholas Winton. In 1938, he was a 20-something-year-old stockbroker. And he lived in England. And uh, he was a man by, in his own admission, he said he lived in neutral gear. In his life, just neutral. You know, making money, playing with friends, doing the 20-year-old thing. And news filtered that there was a man named Adolf Hitler who was moving and marching across Europe and, and taking nations and, take, and illegally uh, pillaging nations and starting to take down, and Jewish people were fleeing for their lives. And people heard it, and in my lens, people could have put Facebook statuses, terrible, Hitler must fall from England. He must like. I'll even forward it twice. But this man heard something inside of him. He, what he did is he took leave, didn't tell his friends, and he went on a train, he went to Prague. And he got to Prague, and he realized that the, he set up a desk there, and he said, how can I help you? And parents came to him. He had no qualification for this. He was a stockbroker. They said, can you take our children to England? They said, please, can you get them out of here? He said, I, I don't know. I'm going to try. And what he did was, through illegal means, he set up thing where he took all their details, he took all their photos, all their thing of the children, and he went back, hundreds of children, went back to England, and he started to plead with, he pleaded with the American government, they said, no, we don't have space. They pleaded with the English government, they got no answer. So what he did was, he then went and he got false letterheads, and he made himself chairman of companies that didn't exist, and pleaded with the government and said, we need to take, I need travel documents for these children. They have to come here. They, they eventually said, okay, if you can get parents for them, then, then they can come. So what he went, he went door to door, handing his photos out to, and put them in newspapers saying, will you take these children? And he got people saying, yeah, we'll take them, we'll take them. So he got travel documents, went back, and he moved in, a, in about a space of a week, he moved 669 children from Prague to England. He had a second train ready to go, but that train never left the station because the next day, war was declared, and uh, uh, that train went in a different direction to a place called Auschwitz. And Jews, Jew after Jew after Jew died and were decimated from the face of the earth because of a man named Adolf Hitler. Can I tell you this funny, this amazing story which I found was that this man never said anything about what he did. These 669 kids were adopted into English families and they never knew who of this, them, their hero, their savior named um, Nicholas Winton. 50 years later, 1980, Nicholas Winton, his wife, went up into the attic of their house. She had never heard of this. That summer in Prague, she, when she found the book, which had all the names and details and photos of all these kids, she went to him and said, oh, yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, it happened. So she thought this was worthy of more than just a shrug. She went to the BBC. You can see it all on YouTube. It's all there. Source of much information, YouTube. And the BBC did a show where they got him on the show under false pretenses. He's sitting in the audience there. And they start talking, and she says, Let's look at this book. This is amazing. Starts telling the story of this man. She says, look at this book. Look at all these people. And she goes, the first person, Vera here, she says, was a little girl, a five years old, Vera did it. And he's sitting there like this, an old guy now. And she says, Mr. Winton, Vera's the lady sitting next to you on your right. And Vera turns, weeping, says, thank you. Thank you. Come face to face with the man for the first time. He says, he's we just, just tearing, tearing up. Then the lady says, is there anyone else here who owes their life to this man? The audience stand. They'd got all the children they'd found who are now adults, with children themselves, stood and applauded this man. He just looked around and wept and wept. He said it was the most emotional moment of his life. This man, Nicholas Winton, has been knighted. He became Sir Nicholas Winton in 2003. He died last year, uh, this year, at the age of 104. He is a patron saint of children in Czechoslovakia. And amazingly, when they interviewed him, they said, 
why do you not make a big thing of this? He says, the future's got enough problems of its own. Why dwell in the past? Profound, humble man, this humble, humble man. But the thing that got me the most was they tallied up the number of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that those 669 children have had. They total more than 10,000 people. They interviewed one of, his great grand, one of the great-grandchildren, and they said, we, th- we thank God for Nicholas Winton. Because she said, if, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. He went to Prague for two weeks, came home with 10,000 children. <laughs> Big family. <laughs> what stays in Prague? <laughs> mm. I tell you, when I watch those stories and I read this thing, maybe it's not polished, maybe it's not the sermon's not, doesn't do anything, but if this is the one thing, I want to tell you that I think when the Spirit of God gets hold of a man or a woman like Gideon, pulls us out of our, our brokenness, out of our, our hiding places, and says to us, by faith you get to overthrow a kingdom, not just for yourself, but for generations to come. Internal kingdoms, but other things, poverty, brokenness, uh, apathy, apathy. Get to, we get to open our homes and have the, loan, the, the kingdom of loneliness. We get to take that head on. I tell you, God is looking not for an army. He's looking for one man. He's looking for one woman. And my prayer this weekend has been that God, would, would people put their hand up and say, God, would you count me in? And all that requires is to shift out of neutral gear. Just shift it out and say, God, I'm going on this journey. By faith, I'm going to start obeying. By faith, I'm going to start building. By faith, I'm going to start encircling. By faith, I'm going to start reaching. And generations to come will be grateful that I stood up when everyone else was sitting down. Can I pray? Not going to ask anyone to stand. Not going to ask anyone to do anything this morning because I, I really am just trusting. It's not an emotion that the kingdom of God is built, but on faith. If you're here today and you are far from God, you know it. You just say, I, I'm in neutral. Maybe I've never engaged with God, or maybe I've, for a long time, I've actually just been in neutral. I'm not engaging with God and things He's called me to. But this morning, I'm just seeing, as I hear the Word of God, faith is rising in my heart to say yes to God again. Just to shift out of neutral. Can you open your hearts? Open your hearts to Him. Father, I pray right now for this congregation, for men and women, whether they're visiting, whether they're regulars. You're not a respecter of our attendance record. You just see faith in our hearts. It doesn't have to be big, but just a little bit that says, yes, God. And I pray, God, as, you, as people, your people say yes to you, that you're raising up a bunch of crazy people who believe that they can overthrow kingdoms. They believe they can see the kingdom of God come where the enemy has ravaged and pillaged for years before. I thank you, God, today that the spirit of rejection is broken in this place. No, no keyboard, no man of God prophesying, but people of God saying yes. I right now say, God, the spirit of lack, the spirit of fear is broken. The spirit of fear about the future of this country is broken, God. You're saying, will I find faith on the earth? And the people of faith, life change will be known as the house of faith that say, yes, God. I thank you, God, by faith, life changes over through kingdoms. Arise, mighty warriors. Amen.